family, I don't think our prayers are too big. I think they're too small. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Y'all, this is the God we serve. And today we're going to encounter in Luke chapter 2 a couple faithful saints of old who are praying big prayers. Okay. Let's look at the story. Luke 2. We're going to start at verse 22, and if you're able, please stand. I want to read God's word together. We're going to read through verse 24, just a couple, and then we're going to keep moving through as the story unfolds. All right, Luke 2, 22, here it is. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You may have a seat. And because we come to a king, let's pray again. God, prayer is our life breath. Lord, if we as a church don't pray, we do die, so help us, God. I don't want my words to be deadening, but life-giving because they're your words. So put your word in my lips. Put your word in our hearts and let our hearts be good soil to receive it. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, first part of the story. This is going up. So it's time for Mary and Joseph and their little baby boy uh, to take a week-long journey through mountainous terrain up to reach Jerusalem. Now, this would happen about 40 days after the baby was born in their case. And so I was, I was running the numbers in my head. Henry, my little boy, is 42 years old today. So I'm trying to imagine a, a, a week-long journey right? Week-long journey on foot. Um, We're looking at like 40 miles, probably up mountains with a newborn. And that's hard. I mean, that's crazy. I'm sure Jen can say that. I'm sure Hannah can say that's crazy. Many of you can too. But God provides the strength for this law-keeping Israelite family. They're going up, not not just because they want to, but because God's word instructs them to do this. It says, that Jesus, this firstborn son, by way of the Mosaic law, would be called holy to the Lord. And in this text, we're seeing holy as set apart, right? Like Jesus was going to be set apart to the Lord. And I just think it's beautiful the trip that Mary and Joseph take in obedience. They, parents who are poor, likely weary, and just, they're faithfully following what God has called them to do. And it's sweet. Like already in the story, we see just God's blessing and love for a family who is seeking to keep his covenant, right? A family that's following God in their, their weakness, their exhaustion, their poverty. They are loved by the Lord. And when they arrive at the temple, 
their destination, God is going to bless these people. Let's meet the first saint here. His name is Simeon, verse 25. Here we go. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon also blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Okay, interesting. Uh, meet Simeon. We, we learn he's a, a righteous man. He's a devout man, and he's full, saturated with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was upon him. The Spirit revealed to him that the Christ was coming, and the Spirit is the one who led him to the temple to meet the Savior. And I think this is a glimpse in the book of Luke of what we're going to see in full come Acts. This is a Spirit-saturated man. And he was, he was doing something. He was waiting for uh, what, what Luke says is the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, Israel had entered into covenant life with God, and this covenant life came with blessings for obeying this Mosaic law and curses should they break it. And surprise, they broke it. And that breaking sent them on a journey through pain, through death, through exile. So Israel, at this point in history, was really oppressed by the nation of Rome. They had kind of been brought back from being in Babylon, but they were still shaky. And the nation was struggling. He was, Simeon was waiting for the redemption of his people. The people he loved, the people he served, he lived with, he was waiting for their consolation. And beautifully, when Jesus comes into this temple, he recognizes him, right? He recognizes him as God's salvation. See this, that salvation in verse 30, read it. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He sees Jesus. He sees God's salvation. Make that connection here. That salvation, that God's saving us, saving his people, saving Israel, not just from Rome, but from himself, for himself, is coming by himself. 
God is saving his people from his wrath and judgment for his love and glory. And he's doing that by his person. His person is Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. I think we can confidently say, looking here, y'all, the God is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. He goes into the temple. Simeon sees God's salvation. I love it. And who's the salvation for? Let's, let's ask that one. I think in, in this poem as well, we see that he is prepared in the presence of all peoples. He's light of revelation to the Gentiles. Thank God for that one. And he is glory to Israel. It's worth noting that from infancy, Jesus was an extremely kosher Messiah, right? Notice this over and over. Luke stresses that Jesus was brought up according to the law, right? He had a family which was trying to shepherd him faithfully according to God's way for living. Jesus was an extremely kosher Messiah, but he wasn't just for his people, ethnic Israel. He was going to gather himself a new sort of people. That's important. And then, so Simeon moves on. He blesses not just God, he blesses Mary and Joseph. And he notes that God's salvation is going to come at a cost. So there's, there's blessing, and then there's this difficult reality which he puts forth that ultimately for Mary, a mom, she will watch her son be tortured and killed and not be able to do anything about it. Ultimately, his life will bring salvation and reveal glory to some, and for others, it will just show stubbornness of heart and unbelief. So the blessing is good, but the same one who will crush the head of the serpent will be bitten by it. This story isn't all pretty and tied with a bow. And I, I think maybe it's, it's easy for us to relate to Israel, just as Israel wanted to be saved from things, right? They wanted to be saved from Rome, their oppressors, from maybe immorality all around them. So, like, so do we. There are things we want to be rescued from. So, so I want to ask, like, what, what should we do? What, how do we think about this salvation? What should we feel? And, and church, how should we wait for the redemption coming? Here's the application from Simeon. I think, and I want to start off with a promise here. So for those of you, for those of you who live rightly, who pursue true religion, who wait on the Lord, hear this, you will see God's salvation. You will see God's salvation. How do I say that? Why do I say that's true? It's because it's already happened, right? We already have seen God's salvation because we see 
Jesus. God is the gospel. We see this in the plan set forward from Genesis. We see it in the person of Jesus, and we see it as we look across the pews at the people whom God has indwelt and called his own. Church, we do see with our eyes God's salvation. Praise the Lord. And we're also waiting because we see it in part and yet not at full, but it's coming. So, if we want to see God's salvation, I, I mean, I think the, the model for application like Simeon is to live righteously. It is to pursue true religion. Not, not dead religion by works, but true relationship by faith and to wait on the Lord. Let's note, Simeon has traits we should model. They're also not the things which bring about the salvation of his people, right? Like, nowhere in this text is Simeon's obedience connected with Israel's salvation. Who gives the salvation? Not Simeon, but God. And yet, church, this is the fruit of one who's living in covenant relationship with God. I was trying to think, how, how would this be helpful for our church family to understand and to, to live? So, salvation is vi- it, it's very easy for us to think about this in a future sense, like something that's coming, right? Like when Jesus returns, we will be saved ultimately from evil. But let's not forget about the salvation that we do have presently either, okay? I know that some of you have experienced healing. I know that some of you have seen a friendship or a marriage that was dying or dead be resurrected by God's power and not yours. I know that we can look at our own hearts and be witnesses that it wasn't me who did anything worthy of God's love, but God loved me regardless. That is a salvation from ourselves, is it not? Praise the Lord. So, We'll talk about how we continue to struggle when we meet our next friend here. But let's look for salvation we've already experienced. Let's remind each other of that. And let's meet Anna. This is in verse 36. Here we go. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband 77 years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna was a prophetess, uh, and she had spent decades in the temple waiting and praying and fasting. She was married as a young woman, um, maybe like seven years of goodness and joy or, or bliss. And then next to that was 77 of suffering, of famine, of 
longing. Okay, so this is the sort of person <laughs> we meet. And, and uh, like, I, I, Anna was a person. What, what, did she know loneliness in those 77 years? Probably. Did she feel like her best days were behind her? Maybe. Was it hard to keep going? Probably sometimes. And yet, like when she encounters adversity in the, in the mediocre, what does she do? There's obedience, friends. She worships, right? So at 83, Anna could have said, you know, I've worked hard. I've done well. I deserve a break. I hear Alexandria is nice this time of year. I'm going to take a cruise, rent a beach home, and finish my days there. No, that's not it. That's not it. What does she do? She worships night, day, with fasting, with prayer. This, y'all, this woman was tough. She was a warrior. She, year 84, when Jesus comes, she's there. She sees God's salvation and she says it. She proclaims the news. Oh, it's good. It's good. And, and she wasn't some superhero, right? Like neither was Simeon. They were average people. They weren't priests. They weren't kings. They didn't have power or influence. Or did they? They had a mighty God. Anna was a commoner who God just cared for even into old age. He didn't let his servant go. And and I feel like there really is good application here we can take. So let's start it off again just with a promise. Like for those of you who have suffered long, for those of you who worship the Lord night and day, Your hope is here. It's not far off. It's not one or seven or 77 years away. It's here, church. And it's in Jesus, right? It's only in Jesus, but yes, it is here. So, same thing as we did with Simeon. Application is, if we're going to suffer, let's do it in the Lord. I think, uh, like, if you are suffering, like, the ways you can do it in the Lord first are just by asking him that he would deliver you, right? Like, doesn't that honor God as the one who can save? Yeah, because we know he is able, and surely he will, and if he doesn't do it now, he will in eternity But pray he will now, church. There's no reason to wait. If you are suffering, ask him to deliver you. And I think the second part to this is that we ought to suffer in the Lord by loving the Lord even if he doesn't save us yet. Okay? Loving the Lord even if he doesn't save us yet. Don't lose hope. 
I see that we should worship him day and night in this text, like Anna. And I hope that isn't like an overwhelming feeling because I, I don't think that the I don't think that the text is stressing where she's doing it, like she always had to be in the temple, or that you always have to be in church to worship the Lord. But I think it's putting the emphasis on that she is doing it day after day after night after night. And she does it through a couple things, right? She fasts and she prays. Let's talk fasting. So fasting is important because, here here it is. So if eating is a comfort source to us, we can have full and bloated bellies and empty and dissatisfied souls. And y'all, weight has nothing to do with it, right? This is a heart state, most importantly. If eating is a comfort source, we can have full, bloated bellies and dissatisfied souls. And that, that is so true with not just food, but with any number of things, right? Like that's the principle behind giving too, I think, So, church, we do need fasting from worldly things. From maybe food, maybe phone, maybe Facebook. You know yourself or, or know yourself and see what do I need less of so I can enjoy Jesus more. Fasting is ultimately about gain. Like, do we get that? Like, we fast because we want more of Jesus, not because we want less of something else. Okay? It's beautiful. It's good. I, I put, here, here's my, the, the thing that helps me remember it is that we would have less of the world so we can better feast on Jesus. That's not cannibalism, that's John 6, right? It's that Jesus is the bread of life who satisfies our souls, and it's only him, right? We can't go anywhere else, but he does satisfy. So fasting is good, and prayer is good. Church, I just, I, I love prayer. Uh, I, I love, church, that you pray with me on Sunday mornings. And you pray for me outside of that. You pray for each other. That's a beautiful thing as your pastor, one of your pastors to witness. I want to keep doing it. I, I think prayer, if I'm trying to simplify it, is just a needy people talking to a generous God. Because we are a people who have many needs, freedom from sin, deliverance from sickness, And God is willing to give those things. We see that over and over. May we ask, church, and may we ask diligently. Keep knocking. As a church, we we do try to have a lot of outlets we can pray in because we believe if we're not a praying church, we're not going to be spiritually where we want to be, right? Certainly, we won't be healthy, spiritually, we probably will be dying or dead if we're not a praying church. So programs are not the first or most important, I would think, way to, way to pray, but we do have these things. Like as a church, we've got an all-prayer meeting, uh, all-church prayer meeting once a month. I was so encouraged by that. Those of you guys who were there, leadership council men, that is powerful. Fifteen guys pleading to the Lord for people, for God's glory in our town. 
Y'all, that is, I love that about my job. It's one of the highlights of my week. So rich. There's men's prayer meeting Tuesdays at noon. We do this in life groups, youth group kids. You guys know I make you pray. And we love it. We need it. We need it. Prayer is essential for our church family and beautifully. So prayer is essential because God is essential, correct? Yeah, that's it. All right, let's do this last section. Verse 39. This is returning home. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So the, I mean, the humble family goes home. The, the small, <laughs> tired travelers go back to Nazareth. It, at least it's downhill this way, right? They had faithfully followed God's prescription in the law, and the story will, from here, wait a lot of years <laughs> before we pick up next week. So come back, find out. But it, it, there's, there's time that passes. There's more waiting for Simeon for Anna, for, for others. I think Luke is trying to emphasize just in the last statement, again, how Jesus is set apart. We see that the favor of God was on this little boy. The Lord chose him. The Lord is blessing him. And we're just left to wonder, all right, what's next? right? How is the little insignificant kid from Nazareth who seems to be born out of wedlock, like, what is God going to do with him? Well, wait. Here's the idea from this week's text. I think it is that the Lord set apart Jesus to save his people, Israel. Okay? We see throughout Luke 2, God at work, setting apart Jesus, who is holy for the Lord, and Jesus is going to save, to rescue his people from the wrath of God. And this, this people that we call Israel, oh, there's so much heritage. It's so rich. It's for all of those who, by faith, are sons of Abraham. Like, that's Israel. It's, impo- I mean, it's important to see, like, Jesus was brought up as a great Jew, right? And what is the purpose of Israel? We see that a blessing is coming through Israel to the whole world to invite people in. So behind the scenes, we see God giving a son, setting apart Jesus. We see a promise that through him many will be redeemed, And we see God's people quietly waiting. They're following his instructions and they're praying for his coming. I think Simeon and Anna are just two snapshots of people who are doing this well. Right? Right? Like they were anticipating with this God-given hunger the renewal, the, the coming kingdom. And it's good. And so it's, it's, good to, first, it's good to recognize their examples and to live similarly as much as we can. 
And it's also good to recognize that their hope wasn't ultimately in doing those things, right? Not at all. It was in not their goodness, but God's glory in God's gift. So, church, we're still waiting. And he is not far off. Our hope is here in Jesus. Our eyes have already seen God's salvation, and they will again. So keep praying. And we'll do it. Lord Jesus, we are... powerless without you. And with you, we have everything we need. Strength sufficient for today. God, give us strength sufficient for today. Um, we, as, just as a church, we, we know waiting. We know hurt. Those aren't strangers to us. and They're not strangers to you either. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for a gift that wasn't uh, just for one ethnicity, but that expanded to the whole world. Lord, we just long as a family for your new creation. We want justice to come. We want death to die. We want wars to end. We want hope to abound mightily. So do that in our hearts, Lord. Give us courage for the week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We're going to sing again.